No, it's always fun to come here. Um, Derwin asked me to uh, promote something, and I'm happy to promote it because uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic event. And I've actually uh, brought some cards and <laughs> just made myself at home, put them on the front table. And um, There's a conference coming up on April 9th, and that's a Saturday uh, at, a, at Coquitlam Alliance Church. We've invited uh, Dr. Rick Watts. I don't know if you know who he is. Um, he's an Australian New Testament uh, professor at Regent College, dynamic, dynamic speaker, and he is coming. Oh, we even have it up there. And he's doing a, a conference, one-day conference called It's About Life. Now he's Australian, so it's called It's About Life. Um, so just so you know. And um, he walks through, if, if, if you've ever wondered how the Bible all fits together, and not only that, how the Bible points over and over again to life. That's what this conference is all about. You walk through this um, conference, Rick walks you through how you understand creation, where Israel fits in, who is Jesus, his meaning of his life, death, and resurrection, and, and what it means about his return. Like, he, he covers the whole thing. And I've heard it before, and it's fantastic. And so I've asked Rick to come and uh, speak on this on um, April 9th. So... Derwin told me to give a plug here as well, because I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to come, and it would be some really good teaching. So I have some cards. I'm going to give these to Lincoln, and uh, I think I have some on the front table too. So just to let you know about that. We're actually going to be looking this morning at a psalm. Um, it connects to Palm Sunday. Psalm sounds like palm. Um, <laughs> there's even more connections than that. Um, but we're going to look at Psalm 107. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Okay. Some of you have this memorized, I can see. Um, don't need a Bible. Okay, uh, Psalm 107. This is what it says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry, thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their heads down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for the, his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters a door of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Now some were fools through their sinful ways and became, and because of their iniquity, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. 
He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Now some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord for his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storms be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards. They get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Lord, we, this is your word, and we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear from you, eyes to see you, that you would soften hard hearts, and we would respond to what you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalm ends with these words. It says, whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Whoever is wise, pay attention. That's what the psalm is saying. Whoever is wise, ponder these things. And I'll tell you, one of the challenges... One of the challenges in a technological age is to pay attention to much of anything. Uh, one of the characteristics of, of a technological age is that we suffer increasingly from ADD. Um, it's harder and harder to focus on anything. Do you find that? Like I find my attention span is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I used to be able to read for a long period of time. Now I read for like 20 minutes like, oh, I better... See what's going on on Facebook. You know, I, I, you know, I need to take a break. And that's a problem. That's a problem. It, it, it's, it's a spiritual problem. Because we're called in the psalm to pay attention, to ponder deeply. And yet if we're always distracted, how are we going to do that? 
And so our psalm calls us this morning to focus in, to pay attention to what is being said. Now, what are we called to pay attention to? Something pretty big. The steadfast love of the Lord. That's what we're called to pay attention to. And we were called to pay attention to this because it is because of the steadfast love of the Lord that you and I can be saved. That's the theme of this psalm. What it means to be saved. It's actually the theme of the psalm prior to this as well. It's the theme of Palm Sunday. Where the crowds gathered together and they saw Jesus enter into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, waving palm branches, and they cried out, Hosanna, which is, save us. Save us. And so Psalm 106 ends with the cry, save us. Psalm 107 over and over again says, save us. And this, this, this truth, this call for God to save us is laid out in the psalm in four pretty powerful pictures. There's four pictures that the psalmist gives us. There's a picture of the desert. There's a picture of prison. There's a picture of sickness. And then there's a picture of being storm-tossed. Those are the four images. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one of these. And uh, I have no notes, but I think I have an image for each one. The first one is on desert. The psalmist says in, in verse 4, he says, Some wandered in desert places, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their f- soul fainted within them. And they lay out the conditions of the desert. Now this is hard, because we live in a rainforest. Um, so some of you from a Soyuz, you'll get this, um, probably more. But um, the, the conditions of the desert is this. You're lost, you're hungry, and you're thirsty. And one of the things that a desert does is it blows away any pretense that we had. It blows away any sense of comfort that we have. It exposes what the desert does is it exposes our deep, deep need. And spiritually, it exposes our deep, deep need for Jesus. And the desert reminds us that we are lost, that we are prone to wander, that we have a longing for home. That's what the psalm lays out. We're hungry and thirsty in a dry and thirsty land that has no water. And I was thinking about this, about this whole sense of being lost. One of the things, characteristics of living in Coquitlam is that there's a real possibility for you and I to go hiking in Bunsen Lake or something like that and get lost. On, on, you know, Maine and 15th, it's a little harder. Um, but here in Coquitlam, you can get lost. Have you ever gotten lost in the woods? Okay, I have. <laughs> I was at this retreat once, and we had a speaker, and the speaker just finished his sessions, and, and he says, you know what? This has been some pretty heavy stuff, so everyone go off on your own and just reflect on what I've said. I'm like, fine. I'll go for a walk. And so it was, was um, kind of out in the woods or whatever, and I see a trail. And so I go off on this trail, and I say, I'm going to think about these things. I'm going to ponder, right? And so I'm walking along this trail, and I see the trail. It looks like it loops around. I'll say, well, I'll just save a little bit of time, and I'll cut, a, I'll cut across to get to the other side of the path. And, but I couldn't find the other side of the path. Now, that's scary. Now, 
it doesn't help that I have a horrible sense of direction. And I used to be a tour guide, go figure. Um, but all of a sudden, it's like, where's that trail? And do you know that feeling? It's just like, oh, maybe it's just up here. Maybe it's just up here. Maybe if I go on top of this hill, I'll be able to get a, you know, a view of where I am. So I, I, I go up this hill, and inside, I'm thinking, slow down, calm down. But inside, I'm also going, hurry, 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 to the top of the hill, get to the top of the hill. I can't see anything. It's just, it's just forest. And I'm like, it's a scary feeling. It's like 3 or 4 in the afternoon. It's February, so it's getting darker early. And then the funny part was, a dog came along. And I thought, you know in the show Lassie? <laughs> you know, I figured, well, this dog will show me the way home. And so, you know, I, I was saying earlier, I, I don't get along with dogs. Cats, I do. Not that a cat could show you the way home. Um, but I said to the dog, I said, hey, boy, which way home? And he starts walking along, like, it's working. But we just got more and more lost. And the poor, <laughs> the poor dog is just kind of following me. <laughs> and I was following him. And then we're really lost. And I'm like, oh, no, not only am I lost, but I got this stupid dog lost. And so, and you're just feeling panicking. And, and you become desperate, longing for some sign of home, right? And I remember I was walking, walking, walking. I finally found a road. And I came down to the road. And it's just like out of a movie. I flagged down a car. I said, hey, man, I'm lost. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm at this retreat center. Do you know which way? And we figured out where it was. And then I jumped in the car. And we were driving. <laughs> the poor dog had to run behind us <laughs> all the way back. <laughs> and, and we were like three kilometers off. Like I had wandered three kilometers into the woods. This is a sense that we're getting in the psalm. How many of you in life are feeling lost? How many of you, maybe you're, you're, you, you got this job that you're doing and you're doing the same thing week in and week out and you feel like you're not getting anywhere? How many of you are hungry? You see people and you see so much life in them and you long for that same life in you. But you don't have it. How many of you are just feeling dry spiritually? Or just feeling numb? Working? And trying to come alive maybe by things that show up on your screen? But for the most part feeling pretty dead? This is why the psalmist tells us we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to what? To the steadfast love of God, to the desolate. For he is the one who the psalmist tells us satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And so the Israelites cried out. They cried out, save us. And because of his steadfast love, God saved them in their distress. And you think about Jesus. What does Jesus say? To the one who's lost, what does he say? I am the way. 
to the one who is spiritually hungry, what does he say? I am the bread of life. And to the one who's thirsty, I offer living water. And one of the strange things about the desert is this, is I think that God allows us to wander into the desert. And you know that sense of feeling lost, that sense of, the sense of feeling hungry, the sense of thirsting for more? I think those are invitation points from Jesus in the desert to draw you to himself. And so when you're feeling that thirst, when you're feeling that hunger, when you're feeling like your life is spinning and going nowhere, recognize that it could be, could it be, that Jesus has brought you to this point to thirst for him. Right? So that's the first picture that we get. We get the picture of the desert. The second picture is that of a prison. I think I have an image of that. Do you have a picture of a prison? Yeah. And you see this in, in, in verse 10, where it says, Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. If, if in a desert what happens, we're, we're lost in a world too big, in a prison, we're confined in a world much too small. A space that's much too small. And the prison is a condition where all of our hopes, all of our dreams that we once had began to shrink. And our heads, instead of being lifted up full of hope, full of anticipation, our heads have been bowed down and we've given up and we feel stuck. Anybody feel stuck? Now, how does this happen to us? Well, sometimes it's things we've done, choices we've made, decisions maybe not to forgive someone, to hold grudges. Sometimes it's our guilt that confines us. It could be a result of one time God saying, yes, do this, and you said, no, I'm good. And as a result, you're living in a context where you just feel confined. You're stuck in a dead-end job dead-end situation. The psalmist describes, he says, we're confined by doors of bronze, bars of iron, stuck in a small place, head down, imprisoned, depressed, angry, stuck. So what do we do? We cry out, save us. And we cry out to the Lord of steadfast love because he is the one who sets the prisoners free. We cry out to the one who on the cross cuts down bars of iron and breaks down doors of bronze. And in God's loving kindness, he sets the prisoners free. Do you believe this? And so what's keeping you in prison these days? Is it guilt? Is it anger? Is it resentment? Things you've done that you wish you hadn't have done, things you haven't done that you wish you had done, and now it's too late? I'll tell you, this sense of being in prison, I get it. I remember when I was living and working in, in Shanghai um, for this company, and I was up to no good, and I was, I was a Canadian working for a Hong Kong company in China. I had no rights 
whatsoever. I hadn't saved very much money. And I stuck in a job that I hated. I hated it. It was a very corrupt job. I mean, I did okay financially, but I hated the job. I, I hated going to work. Anybody ever hate going to work? And every day, and, I, and I, I'll t- tell you how I, I, I felt. I felt confined. I didn't know what to do. And I was looking for a way of escape. But the problem is, is if you're looking just for a way of escape, sometimes you make stupid decisions. You go out of the frying pan into the fire, right? And so I was seriously considering leaving this job in Shanghai to go up to Beijing to work with an Italian mafiosa as his assistant in this hotel. Okay, not very smart. But I didn't know what to do. I was confined. And one of the things that this psalm tells us is that it's in these kind of contexts we need to cry out. And we cry out to the one who went to the cross to set the prisoners free. And I love this in the psalms. The psalm says that when we cry out to God, what does God do? These are the words he uses. He brings us to a spacious place. He brings us into a spacious place. And I, and I get that. Because when we're connected to Jesus, all of a sudden, we can get the lay of the land. We can see around us. We're not so hemmed in. And I think of the, the great hymn by Charles Wesley. You'll know these lines, hopefully. It says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. How's it go? I rose, went forth, and followed thee. We cry out, Hosanna, save us. And he sets us free. So we get the desert, being lost in a world too big, prison, confined in a reality much too small. The third image that this psalm gives us is that of being sin sick. It's a picture of despair. And I'll tell you, this is a particular sin that lies upon men and women in the modern world. And it tells us the effects of sin. Look at this in verse 17. It says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. It's a picture of sin wasting us away. And, and it talks about, it says, Some were fools. Now, in the Bible, fool does not mean being ignorant. Fool To be a fool means to be wise in your own eyes. And so the trouble that they face is self-inflicted. So you think about somebody who's addicted. Someone who's addicted to whatever. They're addicted often because of choices they've made, but then they're caught. They're caught within their addiction. I just did a funeral on Friday. A young man, 20 years old who overdosed at a recovery house. And the guy, he had, you know, you looked at image, he was just winsome, full of personality. And you see pictures when he's a kid growing up, full of personality. He had made a bad choice and got stuck and died way too young. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And this is a call from Israel. Israel's calling out to God. And the reality is, is that God took 
Israel out of Egypt, but it took a long time for Egypt to, Egypt to come out of Israel, right? Old habits, old ways of thinking led to places of despair, and at wit's end, they cry out to God. So what does God do? They cry out to God. What does God do? He heals them. He rescues them from the grave. He rescues them from their, themselves. So I want to ask you this morning, I mean, how many of you are still living in the consequences of bad choices that you've made? Are your choices killing you? Are these habits that you have, are they killing your marriage? Your relationship with your kids? Your spiritual life, your personal life? And you're stuck. Well, Jesus is the one who brings healing. Jesus is a great physician. And we read in Isaiah 53 that it is by his wounds that we're healed. And so we cry out for healing. And he hears us. Now, here's the last image that we get. So we get a desert being lost in a world too big, prison confined in a world too small, being sin sick. And the last one is being storm tossed. Do we have an image of that? And that is feeling overwhelmed by the chaos that surrounds us. And now this isn't so much about our guilt or anything like this. This last image, is a, it, it speaks to us being very, very small in a world that's very, very big. That's the image that comes to mind. A guy named Derek Kidner, he says, The hurricane shakes us into seeing that in a world of gigantic forces, we live by permission, not by good management. Isn't that a great line? We live by permission, not by good management. There are so many things in our lives that are beyond our control. We, we do not have the amount of control that we think we do. Um, and there's so much of life that can easily wash us overboard. There's a guy, um, the brother of Charles Wesley, John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley in 1736, he's, um, he's heading to uh, Georgia from, from England. And now John Wesley, you have to know this about him, John Wesley's pretty, um, pretty intense. <laughs> he's a pretty intense guy. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodists. Um, he's you know, a key figure in church history. But John Wesley early on was super intense. He's still intense later on, but at the beginning. At the beginning, he wanted to, to know God so deeply that he decided that he would take up a practice where he would check his spiritual temperature every hour on the hour. And he had this shorthand way of keeping track, and we have his journals, and it's kind of done in this code, but somebody's cracked the code, and they figured what Wesley was saying about it. So every, every hour on the hour, he kept track of his spiritual temperature. And so there, I mean, I mean, there's times where he says, you know, went to the washroom, right, shaved, Spiritual temperature. And he'd have, a, he'd have a rating system between 1 and 10. 10 doing pretty good, 1 not so good. And so, you know, shaved this morning, 7. Um, you know, okay, so he's on the ship. And um, he's heading over to do some evangelistic work in Georgia, in the colony of Georgia. And a storm takes place while he's out at sea. And so at 3 p.m., Wesley records in his journal... Storm. 4 p.m., he then records, 
Storm high, a little afraid. <laughs> 5 p.m., storm very high. <laughs> and he's, he's terrified. He's absolutely terrified because um, the, the storm is, is threatening to sink the ship. And the captain, uh, the captain is, is, is doing the best he can. The mainsail breaks. Um, water's coming over the deck. Um, and it looks like they're about ready to die. And everybody begins screaming. Everyone was screaming except for one group. On the ship, there were these German Moravians. This is an early um, Christian movement came out of Germany. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're singing hymns. And Wesley's like, what? And he comes up to them and he says, why were you not afraid? And they said, no, they said, we weren't afraid because we're not afraid to die. Because our hope is in Jesus. And that, that hit Wesley in a big way. And he realized how, how shallow his faith was. Yeah, you can keep track of your spiritual temperature. It doesn't matter at all. Right? And in the psalm, you get this picture of, the, of people being overwhelmed by storms. And, and they cry out in their trouble. And, and, and what does it say? It says the Lord stills the storm and brings them out of their distress. And you see, we know the story, right, of Jesus doing the same thing. Disciples on a boat, storm breaks out. Jesus, Jesus, wake up. He wakes up and he says to the storm, essentially, shut up. That's what he says. And the storm is stilled. And one of the things you and I have to get our heads and our hearts around is this, is that, that it's only Jesus that can, that can still the storms of our lives. And I would guess some of you here this morning are in the middle of a storm right now. Am I right? The waves are high. Some of you, the waves are very high. And they threaten to wash you overboard. And that's where you cry out. That's where you cry out. To the one who stills the storms. See, one of the whole themes of this, of this psalm is this. As much as we like to think we are, we're not masters of our own fate. We're not masters of our lives. I watched the uh, movie The Martian last night. Good, it's a good movie with um, Matt Damon. But much of the movie, the theme is, is that we, 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 we can, through know-how, be masters of our own fate and kind of science our way out of any problems. Which, I mean, and that's okay. It was inspiring and things like that. But I'm like, oh, man. We do not have as much control over our lives as we think we, we do. You and I will always be in a situation where we have no choice but to cry out, Hosanna, save us. I remember um, there was this one man that I was um, visiting, and he had cancer. And uh, he, was, um, he was quite a beloved coach in the Tri-Cities. He was a hockey coach, uh, kind of a rough guy, kind of rough-and-tumble guy, and, uh, but a but good guy. But he was... Um, I guess he was exposed to asbestos when he was working when he was younger and he got cancer and the cancer started to do a number on him. And I go see him and he was a, again, he was a pretty tough, tough guy. And, and I went to see him one time 
went to his house and he's on his bed and, and got all the IVs and everything and, and he's just not looking good. And I said to him, I said, I said, you're dying. I said, you can't, you can't get out of this one. You are dying. <laughs> Maybe not very pastoral, I don't know. <laughs> I just said, I said, you're dying. I said, Mark, I said, when are you going to cry out to Jesus? I said, you got no, I said, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I said, you're dying of cancer. I don't know how many, day, how many days you got left. I said, when are you going to cry out to Jesus? I said, there's, there's nowhere else to go. And I'll never forget this. He's lying on his bed. And I remember, you know, this tough old coach, but all emaciated and thin. And, and he just looks at me. And then he looks up. He goes, oh, Jesus, help me. Right? And we prayed. And uh, the next day he went into a coma. And a couple days later he died. But I, I'll remember that because it was, it was such a poignant moment. It's just like, where are you going to go? I remember with, with Peter, when, when Jesus said, are you guys going to leave me? And Peter, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> where, where else are we going to go? There's nowhere else we're going to go. There's only in Jesus, only in Jesus will our lives work. So where are we going to go? We cannot science our way out of these problems. We're not in control. One person I'd like to read once in a while is uh, Anne Lamott. I mean, I wouldn't recommend her for everybody. I mean, she's kind of earthy and spunky, but she's written a book on prayer, and the book on prayer is called Help, Thanks, Wow. And she says, you know what? So much of her prayer is that. <laughs> Help. Oh, thanks. Wow. You were there. And I think that needs to be our posture as Christians. That's what the posture of the psalm is. Help. Help. Oh, thanks for your steadfast love. Wow. Who am I that you would even pay attention to me, let alone die for me? We cry out. Regardless where we find ourselves, maybe some of you this morning are lost in the desert of meaninglessness. You're locked in a prison of your own choices. You're sin-sick, storm-tossed by circumstances bigger than yourself. We're reminded we're not in control. We need to be rescued. And so I want to encourage you this morning to cry out, Hosanna. Jesus, help me. Let's pray. Hosanna, Lord, help us, save us. On our own, we got nothing. We bring nothing to the table. Only in you do we live. Lord, some of us here this morning are, are thirsty in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We're lost. We're spinning our wheels going nowhere. Bring us home, we pray. Some of us here this morning are, are caught in prisons of choices we've made or choices that have been made for us and we're stuck break the doors of iron and set us free some of us here this morning are wasting away because of the sins we've done and decisions we've made and and it's affecting us deep deep down we pray that you'd bring healing to our souls 
And some of us are facing circumstances, Lord, where it just feels overwhelming. We feel like we're about to be swept overboard. Lord, would you say to the sea, peace, be still, and bring us safely home. Lord, we need your help. Thank you for your steadfast love that you do help. And we're in awe of the fact that you would do such a thing. Thank you for your son, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this last song.